Welcome to Talking Home Care, a podcast of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. I'm Pat Kelleher, your host, and my guest today is Bill Dombey, the interim president of the National Association for Home Care. Bill assumed the NAC presidency just recently after the passing of longtime NAC leader Val Halamandiris. Bill takes the reins at NAC in what is yet another perilous time for the home care industry. Of course, we are fortunate that Bill is no stranger to the home care struggle. He has been at the heart of home care battles for the past 30 years, fighting for access to care for patients and payment stability for the industry, both on Capitol Hill and even when necessary in the courtroom. Welcome to Talking Home Care, Bill. Thank you for the opportunity, Pat. Good to be with you. I know you have some plans for the National Association for Home Care, and we'll get to that in a bit. But I want to start with the immediate issues facing the home care industry, primarily a complex new payment rule proposed by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. It's extremely complex, but also, I believe, potentially extremely devastating to the industry. So why don't we start having you describe the proposed payment system, if you can, and the origins of it as you see them, Bill? Sure. The the system is labeled the Home Health Grouper Model, or HHGM. Uh, it is actually the culmination of almost 20 years of effort to come up with a payment model that does not rely upon the volume of therapy visits for determining the level of payment. Uh, back in 1998 and 1999, CMS was then known as the Healthcare Finance Administration, HCFA, and it developed a case mix adjustment model uh, that has three domains. It's currently in operation now. Uh, It has a functional and a clinical domain, but the problematic area is the utilization domain where the volume of therapy visits is a significant factor in determining the level of payment to providers of services. Uh, This was never considered a good element. Uh, It is almost antithetical to a uh, case mix adjusted prospective payment system uh, and since it started uh, in 2000, uh, October 2000, uh, there have been concerns voiced by many parties, including the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, the Senate Finance Committee, and even displayed as a front page story in the Wall Street Journal. So the origins of the new model really began with an effort to try to eliminate therapy utilization as uh, an element in payment. The other uh, con- reason it's come about is because of some concerns regarding whether so-called vulnerable patients can fully access the Medicare home health patient benefit. Those vulnerable patients are generally patients who need a high level of nursing and home health aid services. And over the tenure of the current prospective payment system, we've seen a significant reduction in home health aid services and home health agencies were uh, discouraged financially from serving some of these complex patients. So that, that was what, what it began as. Uh, what is presented as, it, it goes way beyond a new case mix adjustment model, but the case mix adjustment model at the heart of it is known as this HHGM. Uh, I can take you into the weeds if you'd like, Pat. Well, I, you know, I think what you just said, it's interesting because it sounds like when on, on first blush you say, well, reducing payment reliance on therapy and maybe creating a payment system that would better account for vulnerable patients. Boy, that sounds good, you know, on on the surface to folks. But I think um, you believe that, in fact, the model as proposed would be devastating to the industry and that, first of all, it actually reduces 
overall payments to the industry at a time when we can little afford that. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, the reduction in payment and why you think that coupled with the changes would be so devastating? Yeah, the, the, the changes uh, in, in the model itself pale in comparison impact-wise to a starting point, which would bring about what I you know, hear from you and I would agree with the devastation of the industry, uh, and that is actually the base payment rate. Uh, you know, I'd like to go into the model a little bit later too, because it does have some effect on behavior of agencies, but the greatest impact on the behavior of the agencies comes from the base payment rate. And CMS estimates that the impact in the first year alone would be $950 million less in spending in home health on a $19 billion annual benefit, so a 4.3% reduction. However, uh, whether it was purposeful uh, or uh, comes about you know, by way of typical regulatory complexity, uh, our estimation is the change in the base rate will reduce Medicare spending by nearly $3 billion in the first year, something closer to 14% than 4.3%. Uh, the, the, the explanation of all of that lies in a little footnote within the Federal Register where CMS reveals that the $950 million cut is uh, the end result, the net result of a behavioral adjustment that the Office of the Actuary at CMS has come out with. Uh, CMS uh, has not revealed the nature of that behavioral adjustment, but it's fairly easy to deduce that it comes by way of some assumption that home health agencies faced with rate reductions will alter their behavior to fill in the, spent, the, the revenue gap by expanding either the length of stay of patients to gain additional revenue or expanding the patient population served or both. Uh, by our estimation, the home health patient population, which is currently at three and a half million Medicare beneficiaries, would have to be expanded by nearly 400,000 additional patients in a year to, to make up what the Office of the Actuary said will be a behavioral adjustment. Uh, and if it's done through extensions of care, it would be another 1.3 million 30-day periods of care that would have to be brought into the mix. Uh, and to, 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 to my experience, home health agencies right now are taking pretty much any Medicare beneficiary who comes close to needing home health services and keeping them on service as long as it takes to meet their needs. So the assumption is baseless in, in my mind, but the end result being we are seeing a 14% reduction in payment rates as a base rate uh, for providers of services. The other aspect of the concern is that this adjustment assumes providers can stay afloat simply by adding revenue, but our calculation is that the providers of services with this change, 52% nationally approximately, would be operating with a negative Medicare margin in 2019. So adding more patients or keeping patients on service long, longer than currently on average, would not result in fixing things. Instead, it would just extend the pain. Uh, if, if you were to be set, you know, have, if you had a, a chair that cost you $100 to build and you were selling it for $90, 
selling more chairs at $90 with a cost of 100 each doesn't help you. It only creates a bigger loss. And that's what this model will do for home health agencies because of the change in that base payment rate. So this is why we say we don't even need to look at the particular case mix adjustment system. We don't even need to look at the 30-day payment period change over the 60-day episode. If you're going to pay people at a loss to start with, they're not going to serve patients or they're not going to serve all patients. Uh, we do believe agencies will take steps to survive, uh, but those steps they will take to survive actually come by way of refusing certain patients into service that bring them losses. So this is why you know we have really felt that this is almost the the, the second coming of the interim payment system from the late 90s, where 4,000 home health agencies closed, but well over a million beneficiaries lost access to services. What we're struggling with is trying to get the industry and the agencies to understand the urgency and the need for advocacy around the potential problems that this payment system will cause for them. And I know that NAC has been working um, with associations like the Home Care Alliance of Mass to get some congressional attention to this issue, um, particularly around um, stopping this HHGM or new payment model until it can be vetted and tested. Can you talk a little bit about what NAC has been doing to get some congressional action um, to talk to CMS on behalf of the industry about our concerns? Yeah, sure. I mean, we have met with numerous congressional offices, both in the House and in the Senate. And the most recent activity is a letter sponsored by Senators Nelson and Rubio from Florida that is circulating around the Senate uh, that looking for additional members of the Senate to sign on to. That letter asks CMS to back off of the 2019 proposal and to withdraw and to go into discussions with stakeholders like the home health community itself, as well as beneficiaries, to develop a model uh, that would, would work. Uh, there, there are a number of individual contacts being made from congressional offices to CMS. Uh, the House of Representatives uh, Ways and Means and Energy and Commerce Committee are engaged as well. But from an, from an advocacy perspective, the one thing that uh, Alliance members should be looking at is getting their Massachusetts delegation to either contact CMS directly and say, withdraw this proposal, or to join forces with others. On the Senate side, Senators Warren and Markey, longtime supporters of home care, one of the best things they could do would be to sign on to the letter. Um, the letter will be closed on uh, today, that being September 22nd. Uh, so that, that may not give them an option, but they do ha always have that option to make direct contact to CMS and would strongly encourage the Alliance members to get uh, their, their delegation to do so. That's great. And, and for the members in Massachusetts or the home care agencies who are listening in Massachusetts, you can go onto our website, thinkhomecare.org, to our advocacy page um, to send a message directly to Senators Markey and Warren. For anyone listening who's outside of Massachusetts, I know that on NH, nahc.org, the NAC website, you can go to their advocacy page, um, type in your address um, and send a message directly to your congressional delegation. As we said on the outset, Bill, it's so hard 
uh, for folks to sort of crystallize what is a really complex um, overall change in how home health is paid, it's often difficult to sort of crystallize that down to a message to elected officials and even for us as associations to crystallize that down to our members so that they can understand the the potential problematic or devastating impact that would have. Can you sort of go back to what we said at the beginning of the podcast and, and, and summarize maybe in a, in a quick soundbite, if you were one of my member agencies talking to their elected officials, what you would suggest that they say to um, get a sense of the urgency of this issue for the home care industry? First, I would say would be that CMS has not been transparent regarding what this rule actually does from an impact perspective, but that the industry's evaluation of it to the extent that it can be an informed evaluation would lead to severe problems in accessing services caused by a 14 to 15 percent one-year rate cut to all providers across the country uh, to transition them to an untried, untested system where historically we have found that the end victims are Medicare beneficiaries uh, and that as victims, it is a penny-wise, pound-foolish policy because those individuals who are most likely to be affected are those who have the highest need for care definitely leading to alternative, more costly services being provided. The other part I would add to it was CMS does not need to do this now. The Medicare benefit is not, home health benefit is not expanding in spending or utilization. It is a very much a flat benefits compared to other areas like skilled nursing facility care where spending is going up, home health is basically a flat spending. So there's no crisis that needs to be addressed now. And the last part I would offer would be, these are the kinds of things Congress deals with, not regulatory bodies. That's great. I think that's a terrific message. And here in Massachusetts, we're also trying to talk to our partners across the healthcare sector because, as you say, although home health spending has been relatively flat over the last few years, I think the way home health is being utilized in some of the innovative Uh, new payment models and new care delivery models like bundling payments around orthopedic procedures or um, new uh, accountable care organizations. We see home care as really emerging as the star in those models, you know, delivering what um, Medicare had promised through them, which is more efficient care, uh, more patient-centered care, and care that is high quality but uh, lower cost. So we don't want to see anything destabilize the industry at a time when we think we are really um, you know, shining in terms of what we can deliver to the greater sort of goal of the whole Medicare program, which is to be um, more cost-effective, more patient-centered, more value and outcome-oriented. So um, I agree that any sort of destabilization right now of our industry, you know, would be hugely devastating to patients um, and to what Medicare is trying to achieve nationally. I totally agree with you that home health care has demonstrated that it is the prime solution to what ails uh, spending on health care generally, but in particular in the Medicare program, and that the value of home health uh, has been embraced by these innovative projects. Uh, at the same time, this new model, particularly driven by the reduced payment rate, 
uh, will make it more difficult for you know, programs like the accountable care organizations, the post-acute care bundling demonstration programs, the CJR bundling approach and the like to take advantage of that value of home health services. Uh, it will compromise uh, these innovations greatly. So we have you know, been working with the other healthcare sectors, the hospitals, the physician groups, uh, other post-acute care providers to alert them to the kinds of problems this will create. And in doing so, we've also alerted them to one other thing, a change in, in payment rate as is being uh, proposed here. If it happens to home health, it could happen to all the other sectors as well by way of regulation rather than Congress. Congress has been a protector of the Medicare benefit uh, in many, many ways by helping to uh, be a barrier to arbitrary regulatory action. Uh, the nursing homes, the hospitals, every other sector could be subject to similar uh, base rate changes through regulation rather than Congress if CMS uh, actually is able to do what they're proposing to do for home health here. We believe it's an illegal action also uh, at CMS on this. But I'll add one other thing to who else is concerned about it, and that are the patient community. Uh, we have had very constructive dialogue uh, and collaboration with the patient advocacy community. And they are submitting their own comments to CMS uh, with great concern about what this model will do to access to care, uh, particularly to patients who need therapy services, patients with chronic illnesses, patients who need uh, services over an extended period of time. Well, certainly all this discussion leads me to the importance for the industry to have strong national leadership and direction in Washington. Um, we have a, a whole new administration, new leadership at CMS, um, questions about, uh, you know, as you said, the bureaucracy within the government versus Congress, the directions that they're going to take, um, healthcare reform always being on the table. Having a strong national presence is so critical to us in the states and to our agencies out in the field. Um, as NAC's new interim president, um, I'd love to um, give you a few minutes to talk a little bit how you see NAC, NAC's board, um, NAC services to the industry evolving along this path. And I think um, you said this when I saw your talk recently that we really can make home care the heart of the healthcare delivery system. So how do you well, see NAC evolving what, under your leadership? What we are going now? into uh, is a full-blown top-to-bottom inside-and-out strategic planning process to determine how best we can meet the needs uh, of our constituency. Uh, that's not to say that we haven't been doing a pretty good job at that. We do believe we have, but we are seeing you know, a revolution in health delivery, uh, an evolution in financing of healthcare services, and even the, our, our own community continues to change in terms of the technology uh, as well as workforce uh, matters that come into play. We think we need to strengthen our voice as this goes along. Uh, we think that the best way to strengthen that voice is to expand, to multiply our voice. That There's a lot that we as staff within the associations can do at the state and national level, but there's a lot more we can do uh, if our members uh, become multipliers in all of that. One goal that I have for the organization as we move to the strategic planning process is to develop a culture of ownership, 
uh, not just within the staff, but also within the board, but in particular within our membership, within the home care and hospice community at large, that ownership will breed engagement and that engagement will translate to power. Uh, and that power can be shown in so many ways uh, on the local level, on the grassroots type level, and in the advocacy around this home health grouper model, we've demonstrated what we can do when we commit ourselves to, to that type of engagement. We've had tens of thousands of messages sent by way of email and tweets and other social media to members of Congress asking them to help out here. I mean, tens of thousands compared to what used to be hundreds of messages that went out. Uh, we've had just yesterday the Senate Finance Committee staff asking us to step back because they got the message, they heard so much. So I don't know whether we can rival the power of the NRA, but we sure have the number of people who can do that. So what I see in a new NAC organization is mobilizing that power of, of the home care and hospice communities, of our membership, and to you know, have that happen from the staff on through the governing bodies, on through the membership and vice versa. Uh, together, that multiplying effect uh, really will make home care that heart of health care. I think that's it's so terrific. You know, we often talk about home care in Massachusetts as being sort of an invisible army because we are out there in every single community um, every day in ways that I think sometimes elected officials and policymakers don't appreciate till our members come forward and tell their story or often until they themselves have a personal encounter with home care, an elderly parent, a very sick child, and suddenly folks who are exposed to home care in their own families become the greatest advocates for the service. And we've seen that um, with elected officials here on the state and national level, that once they understand what home care is capable of doing, how home care can impact an individual and a family life, they become our biggest converts. And I think I agree with you. We have to, to mobilize our folks to, to, to be able to, to, to spread that message. And I'm glad you mentioned the workforce because certainly the workforce is the backbone of everything we do here. And any cuts to services, any cuts to payment, I mean, certainly inhibit our ability to attract and compensate that workforce. You know, aside from HHGM um, and the struggles we have with Medicare in Washington, making sure we have a workforce to meet the needs of our families in Massachusetts is probably um, one of the issues at the top of our list right here in Massachusetts. Uh, I, I would agree. I mean, the people who work in home care do an incredible job. The quality of the services are unrivaled in healthcare. The dedication to the patients, the difficulties they go through just to deliver care, whether it's in some mountains in Appalachia to get care or in inner city Boston to deliver services, you know, in some crime ridden area where the police don't even want to go. Uh, uh, you know, the, these, these individuals deserve not just respect, but they deserve fair compensation too. And, you know, as, federal and or state monies are pulled from financing health care services, particularly home care or hospice services, it makes it harder and harder to, for, for people to come to work in home care. We, we also have to respect one other thing from the workforce is that they come to deliver health care. They don't come to, to fill out paperwork. 
Uh, we do take heart that this new administration speaks of reducing administrative burdens. Uh, and, you know, when we talk to a nurse or a therapist or a personal care aide, the one thing they keep referencing as something they'd like to see change in their job is, is the paperwork burden. The cost of that is, is not simply just time, but it deteriorates an individual's passion as well if they're spending it on that. So we need absolutely uh, to, to address this. Uh, but I'd like to add one other point, and that is that we are seeing total gains in terms of an awareness of what home care and hospice can do because members of Congress, state legislatures, governors, and maybe presidents as well, too, you know, receiving or having family members receiving care in the home. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that we can't let down our guard. We have to have contact routinely. I'll guarantee you today here in Washington, and that today could be next week or next month that the same thing will happen. It's, you will see industry after industry, business interest after business interest, personal, political, cultural interest going in and out of congressional offices. So when the home care people knock on the door of a congressional office, 10 minutes after they leave, hot dog vendors are there. 10 minutes after the hot dog vendors leave, nuclear power plant advocates are there and so on and so on. So we need to have this engagement happen on a continuing basis, locally as well as nationally. And then we will not be forgotten. We will not have to, you know, really you know, get down on our knees and beg when we face a crisis like this. Uh, yesterday, I was with Senator Susan Collins up in Maine, and uh, she was recounting her home care visits as creating a permanent imprint on her brain as to the value of home care. And then she added, little vignettes about friends and family members who recently experienced it. She is dedicated to home care. We could use 99 more like her uh, in the U.S. Senate and 485 like her in the House of Representatives in that regard, but it takes work to get there. Well, we're certainly committed in Massachusetts to, to working with NAC to get there. Um, we also mentioned the regulatory burdens on home care. We are also committed to working with you to really hold the Trump administration um, feet to the fire to their pledge to say we are going to take a look at the regulatory issues that um, may be getting in the way of the delivery of health care. And, you know, we stand ready to help you articulate that message to the Trump administration. Uh, we didn't get to talk today about Medicaid, Bill. I'd love to have you come back on the podcast sometime in the future and talk about the challenges that we're facing in Washington with not only um, ACA repeal, but in general, assault on Medicaid spending and what that means for home care. But I think we'll wrap up today with just another plea to anyone listening to this podcast to get engaged, to try to understand the threat to the industry of the home health payment rule, which is now proposed before it's out for comment. Comments are due by close of business on Monday the 25th. Um, home Care Alliance of Mass has comments on our website that people can access. NAC has an advocacy message on their website that you can access. That's nehc.org or thinkhomecare.org. People need to get engaged, as Bill said. Any final thoughts, Bill? Well, Pat, you know, it's been a pleasure working with you uh, and others at the Alliance for, for many, many years. We see the state associations as uh, our most important partners in our advocacy efforts. Really appreciate what you've done with your delegation. You've got a lot of good home care heroes within the Massachusetts delegation. Uh, and uh, you know, really, we intend going forward with NAC to 
continue and expand that partnership with the state associations in doing so. Uh, this weekend, hopefully everybody will be doing what I'm doing, which is to write those comments to be submitted no later than September 25th uh, on Monday. Uh, that, that's our deadline. But I want people to understand, that's not the end of the advocacy point. Uh, we will continue to engage CMS. We will continue to engage members of Congress to help us out on this. We'll be bringing this to the White House time and again, particularly the Office of Management and Budget. So if you miss the 25th deadline on Monday, uh, do not think the battle's over. Uh, it, it, we are still in the heat of that effort and would love to see your support. Thank you. That was Bill Dombey, Interim President of the National Association for Home Care. Thank you, Bill, and see you in Washington. Talking Home Care is a production of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about our association, visit us at www.thinkhomecare.org. Thank you.